friends, <laughs> family, and foe. It's been about three weeks since our last episode. For what it's worth, we're sorry. But not to worry, we're back with a solid agenda for tonight's 54th episode. That very nice, per usual, accompanied by the Stew Crew. Same old minds <clears throat> that move the magic. Let's go ahead and introduce the Gypsy King himself, live from the swamps. Harry Douglas, how we doing? Uh, we're doing good. I, I, I do got to say, and I apologize to, to people who listen to this, we did miss a pretty open opportunity, maybe a layup, if you will, to, uh, to run end, end of regulation through the COVID months. Um, but, you know, I decided to take on a Gypsy lifestyle that kind of brought me all over the country, so it's been tough to... Uh, and then again, we're salmon and we swim upstream. Upstream. I heard that. <laughs> well, live in Richmond, Virginia, a newly engaged man since our last episode. Off the market, ladies and gentlemen. Tommy Boy, how we doing? Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, acknowledging that. Big, big step for me. You know, 2020 hasn't been all that bad. Um, but it's good to be back. You know, sports are back. Things are finally starting to almost feel normal again uh harry i'm glad you found yourself and uh the rest of y'all it's, it's great to see your faces again but overall 2020 has been awful pretty well pretty shitty, yeah. live in nashville just raving over zach osborne's recent championship off of a little bit of a hiatus shaky toes how we do what up um, yeah, yeah. I, I love to go in hiding every now and then. Uh, don't hop on every single one of these anymore. It's been a while since I've been on. But uh, yeah, thanks for the shout out to Zach. I'm happy to be back. We got a lot of football to talk, specifically the Titans. Um, so as long as they're playing well, I guess life ain't so bad, right? I hear that. Let's go ahead and kick it off and cue the music. Second down and seven for Watkins, what a throw! Now you like it is, you're blessed. You're blessed that I chose you. You're blessed that I chose to whoop your ass next. He's going back, he's at the wall. Good! Grand salami time for Mike Trout! Tiger completes one of the greatest comebacks in Masters history. One of the greatest comebacks in sports history. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got a nice little agenda here for you tonight. We're going to talk a little bit of entertainment, a recently released movie uh, that people are buzzing about <clears throat> featuring a politician. Uh, we've also got a little bit of sports news. We're talking NFL. We're talking MLB. We're talking PGA and UFC. So packed agenda. We'll get through it for you all, but uh, sit back and enjoy. So <clears throat> what we want to discuss first and foremost is the recently released Borat 2, Cultural Learnings in America. I don't know if any of you all have seen it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but what I do want to highlight is that Kazakhstan has adopted very nice as a catchphrase for their new tourism campaign. So that is just probably pinnacle 2020. I mean, I can't think of anything more that makes me want to go to Kazakhstan than hearing that it's very nice. It sounds nice, just from their new slogan. It sounds incredible. Uh, weren't they specifically the country that in the first movie, the little kids were like bashing the little uh, Jewish figurines? I it's, don't think um, that's a good place to be. Yeah, I don't, that's what I'm I, don't get. I don't know. But in the second movie, they do do it justice in terms of the aesthetics. Like it looks as if it would be a place I would enjoy flying over. Yeah, sure. I, I would say like, oh, that's some... Kazakhstan. So oh, look at the look at the mountain range, and now the we're gone. Ranges specifically, yeah, but it, not not a great um, place to be or visit. Unfortunately, I don't think. Could be wrong. Has anybody well, actually seen on... the movie? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Harry and I watched it yeah. this weekend. It's like oh it's yeah, a, that's right. That's it, right. It, it is. It is a like every comedy sequel. It is a fraction of the first one. A fraction like, oh, and. Yeah. Quite frankly, the first one had humor that actually had you, like your like gut hurting from how hard yeah, you were laughing. 100%. This was more so cringeworthy, so uncomfortable, secondhand embarrassment type stuff, which like is fine and it plays a little bit, but 
for a whole movie. A, a, ma- so. a major, a major, major difference too is that the timing of this being released was very intentional in that it wanted to release it just prior to the election, and and because of that, like, there's not a lot of like genuine funny moments where they're kind of catching someone in the act or catching someone kind of just being uh, oblivious to like what they're saying or you know what I mean? Like the like the the when he goes to get a license and he's and he's in the car yeah. with. The guy driving the car, he's like, starts drinking a, a little nip of, of vodka and all that. Like, th- those are like hysterical things that you can't recreate. And this one, they're like pushing a very, it seemed very scripted, ag- like borderline scripted, very left agenda the whole time. Yeah, and, I mean, and, which is expected, but it also just seems scripted. Like, you can you can push an agenda and still have it play out naturally, mm-hmm. but it just it was super forced. You know, I'll I'll touch on one scene and not ruin anything, and we'll move on. But he's going shopping for his daughter to find a cage to keep her in, and the guy that he asks, like, basically, he's like, "Uh, yeah, I think you can keep like one woman in here." And it's like, dude, first of all, red <laughs> red flag. Let's arrest that guy. And second of all, it's like this guy knows you're fucking with him. He knows who you are. Like, it's it's yeah. like Harry said, one of those comedies where they know who he is. The game is played. You can't recreate it. Just because you throw in a couple disguises doesn't mean you're fooling anyone. Right. Well, be, being said, I'm probably going to throw it on immediately after this and check it out. After the World Honestly, Series. Honestly, I maybe. don't yeah. plan on watching it, so that's my take. Well, speaking of disguises, uh, this gentleman is wearing a disguise, and that's Boris Johnson. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you know who that is. We leave politics at the door, so we're not discussing, but it's the UK Prime Minister. And this individual... If you don't know who that is... Yeah, Get a fucking grip. <laughs> Pick Jesus up a book Christ. and slam your head with it. Um, <laughs> UK Prime Minister, however, my man's was born in the United States on the Upper East Side. He denounced his, his residency, obviously, but uh, pretty interesting that you can be born outside of your country and uh, still be sworn in. So I'm thinking about throwing in a bid, <clears throat> seeing how it goes. I mean, that guy got it done, so. I mean, uh, didn't Barack Obama Prime do Minister that, too? <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Ooh, spicy. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, Politics I at the door. throw a blanket on that fire really fast, Jesus. What were you saying, Shakes? Uh, uh, I was asking you. You're, you're going to throw your uh, name in the hat for uh, Prime Ministership of UK? I mean, shit, man. Why not? Why not? You I know, mean, you, 2020 you is a hell of a time. I, yeah, I kind of I, look. If I throw in a couple extra pounds and throw on a really, you know, bad set of teeth, we're good to go. So um, all right. This, I actually have a I have a, a politics related question. Where does the prime minister fall with respect to like the Queen of England? The uh, the Queen at this uh, at this juncture, he, like the, the, yeah, the Queen at this juncture essentially is just more of a figurehead than anything. Yeah, so celebratory. Who, who has the who has the bigger swinging dick? Uh, he he has more of a say in, um, you know, like policy, all kinds of policy. Correct. Yeah. It's very scientific. But I would it's, say it's ultimately, who has who has a a bigger BSD? It would be Queen Elizabeth. Right. I I would probably have to agree. I mean, the monarchy ain't going anywhere. You know, prime ministers get voted in and out all the time. She's she's been here since. World War II. So she's all pretty right, well, important. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the clarification. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's clarify some more important things in the sports industry, sports world, and uh, cover some NFL. I uh, have yes. to apologize first and foremost because I've got a bit of a broken promise here. Uh, we all do, and that is that we said that we would never discuss Antonio Brown again. Oh. Uh, we also figured he was going to never come back. Uh, but the tides have turned. It's 2020, and it's uh, necessary that we talk about the moves that are being made in Tampa Bay. Antonio Brown signs a one-year deal there, joining the likes of Rojo, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady. I mean, you name it. This team on paper should win a championship. I want to hear from you guys what you think about what he adds to this team. 
Uh, I would definitely say if if it were three years ago right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be the best team ever assembled. They would look – I mean, I, I think they could absolutely square up with the Chiefs and, and win that football game. Fact of the matter is it's a little too late. Yeah, they are good. Yeah, they are going to win some games, mostly per usual with Tom Brady. No offense, Tom, on the backs of their defense. I'm taking their defense. Their defense is nasty, and none of those names you just listed were on the defense. That's the funny thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All of all of their star power, all of their all of their names are on offense. Their offense is the weakest part of their team. Not to say that it's particularly weak, but their defense is getting, you know, plenty of credit. I think in the media, but just you know, needs to be talked about. I mean, the, the few games I guess I've probably watched, you know, three Tampa Bay Buccaneer games, pretty much start to finish. And the defense shines the entire freaking time. You know, Tom Brady's doing what he usually does, throwing passes over the middle of the field, checking down to his running back. And Gronkowski seems to be like stepping up, but it's the it's the Bucks defense that's gonna get them into the playoffs. Yeah, they've been pretty stout stopping the run. And my my only concern with this move is like, are your your you know marquee players going to get frustrated? And all of a sudden, if I'm Bruce Arians, I'm a little worried because it came out that Bruce Arians texted Antonio Brown and was like, you know, be a team player or leave. But if I'm Antonio Brown, I'm taking my orders from one man only, and that's Tom Brady. Like, in in a sense, like Arians wanted nothing to do with him, and Brady from the get-go has forced Gronk there, has now gotten Antonio Brown there, and... If I'm the head coach, like what what message is this sending to the rest of the team? Like, is it Tom's team? Is it Bruce Arians' team? And what what does this mean in two years when Tom retires? It's a good point because there was some off the bat. There was a little bit of animosity between Arians and Brady, where he kind of, you know, Arians has kind of called out Brady a couple times, um, which is a bit new, I think, for Brady. Like, I think him and him, him and Bill had their their run-ins, um, but they were generally behind closed doors. So this is kind of the first time where where he's been kind of publicly called out. And then when they signed up uh, AB, Arians came across and said, "No, this had not, Tom had no say in the matter. This was completely me and the GM," which yeah, everyone okay. knows is not true. Like everybody knows right. it's not true. So like, why like why even why even downplay that that Tom was kind of, for lack of a better word, lobbying to get AB onto the team. I don't really know, but it, it's an interesting thing. It seems like they're starting to find their groove, though. However, as we know very, very well, when you throw AB into the mix, you know, as much as you think you're getting into the groove, AB can be a, a very quick uh, that dude stick, is pure a, dynamite. stick in the wheel. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he yeah. is dynamite um, in the worst way. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget Don't forget <laughs> exactly. that he has, a, uh, he has a pending domestic violence case. So he could be, he could be gone in the next week. I would suspect that part of the reason that uh, the front office and the head coach took the credit for the signing publicly is so as not honestly not to disturb Tom's public image. Uh, If if I really had to guess, they were probably trying to do him a fucking solid and being like, you know what? I'm a football coach. I want football players. I don't care. (laughs) You know, as long as the guy's, you know, not convicted, he's going to play football. Whereas Tom Brady kind of needs to like, you know, draw a line somewhere. So, Maybe they just fell on the sword for him. That would be the better story. But, yeah, they're for real, honestly. Also, uh, kind of uh, Rojo coming into his own here in year three. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Ronald Jones uh, finally, finally looking pretty solid. He was a second-round draft pick, I think, back in 2017, 18. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess 18, right? Didn't do much in 18 or 19, and now uh, doing a lot. So he's, he's uh, in the ball, catching a lot of passes, and, uh, you know, Helping the offense. He's number four right now in the NFL in rush yards. Really? Derek uh, Henry, Clyde, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Um, there's one guy who's third. I can't. I can't think of the name. And definitely then, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, Saquon. No, shut up. <laughs> uh, and then, and then ultimately, uh, Rojo's at four, and then at five is is fucking someone else. You know, irrelevant. But it's pretty. It's pretty interesting to see that he's number four. Um, ahead of a lot of big names that, that we normally see up there, you know, namely Alvin Kamara, uh, Zico Elliott, Zeke, Andre, yeah. players like that. So uh, pretty cool to see him doing his thing, especially in a backfield that we thought was just going to be loaded and they, and they'd split carries pretty much like, you know, across the board. Um, but it seems like Rojo's kind of the guy down there. Well, uh, speaking of running backs and you mentioned it, um, 
Derrick Henry also seems to be finding his his stride. Uh, kind of a slow start to the season, although the Titans, you know, started off five and zero. Henry had, I guess, quite a few yards that he as he is the NFL rushing leader, I think, at this point. But uh, it wasn't the most efficient running in the first three four games there. Um, obviously, game five he took off um, against yeah. the uh, against the Texans, right? And uh, then this past game had had a pretty strong game against the. Uh, against the Steelers as well. Unfortunately, obviously, uh, Titans put themselves in a big hole early. Uh, Titans and Steelers were two of the only three remaining, you know, undefeated teams going into this past Sunday. Steelers are now the only undefeated team remaining after this past Sunday. And, uh, yeah, basically after going down, uh, what, 24 to uh, to 7 in the first half, I think it was, Titans didn't have much of a chance. Uh, can't get off the field on third down. That's really the only problem with the team. Uh, they've they've ever since they've had Brable in as head coach, they've basically taken the bend but don't break de- defensive mentality. Uh, I think you see generally like Titans don't finish very high in uh, you know points against or even total yards, but they just don't give up a ton of big plays. And that's kind of their calling card is not giving up explosive plays. They man the defense manages games kind of like people talk about offenses manage games. Um, but they've they've had a pretty strong defense for the most part. And obviously after some second half adjustments against the Steelers, you know, they had this held the Steelers to three points in the second half, all uh, all three of which obviously came on the first drive there, uh, and then didn't let the Steelers score another point in the game. Um, they ended up obviously coming back, had a chance. They were driving down the field. They were down 24 to, uh, 27, 24, and they had the ball with about, you know, a minute, 10 seconds left, drove down the field, stalled. And finally, Steven Guskowski missed about 12 kicks this year. It feels like, and this was the first one that actually cost them a game. So, you know, if you remember back to game one against Denver, he missed about five field goals, I guess, mm-hmm. finally kicked it, you know, a 30 yard game winner. Uh, a few games ago against the Bills, he missed a couple. Against the Texans, he missed one. Almost cost them the game. They luckily got into overtime, and now finally he's missed one versus the Steelers, and they lose, and the Titans are 5-1. and one. So the shitty thing is, um, you know, it sucks to lose football games that you can win. Uh, you can't get those wins back. They're all important, especially if you're, you know, truly trying to make a run deep in the postseason. You need that seeding. You need those wins. And uh, especially, you know, to cough one up against – what's probably looking like the AFC leader and the team, you you know, someone might face in the AFC championship game. Let's touch upon that for a second, because I, um, you know, I could have put a hundred bucks on betting that the Steelers would not be atop their division and especially not six and oh, and the only undefeated team, you know, in the league. I, that defense. I, I mean, yes, again, we've we've talked a lot about how defense plays a huge role into this. Um, but, you know, they've still got offensive threats. I didn't think Ben had it in him. Clearly, he still does. But um, I'm interested to see how long this can pan out this season. I think the Steelers, uh, speaking of defense, uh, Harry, here's here's a nice stat for you. The difference in two five and zero teams, right? Steelers and Titans coming into this past Sunday. Steelers coming into this past Sunday had twenty four sacks as a team. The Titans had seven. That's, I mean, that's yeah. that's the reason the that's the reason the Steelers can win the AFC Championship game this year, and the reason the Titans at this point to me, even though the five and one record looks good, they're kind of pretenders because we don't have a pass rush. The Vic Beasley signing has been a flop, more or less, like everyone basically knew it would. The guy is lazy as shit. Uh, Jadavian Clowney, uh, also kind of like everyone knows, Overrated. Doesn't, actually put, doesn't put a ton of stats on the board himself. Uh, you know, he does disrupt games. He he just doesn't get in the box score, so it's tough to judge him. But anyways, the Steelers' de- defense, you're right, is absolutely savage. Uh, T.J. Watt is, you know, unreal. Uh, Unbelievable. Basically looks like just a smaller, faster version of his brother in his prime. And yeah, I guess now the Steelers, I think they got, uh, I think they had two or three sacks this past game. So now they're at 27 sacks through through six games, um, basically on fire. And the offense, you know, a couple years removed from Antonio Brown and uh, Le'Veon Bell looks more balanced than ever. Uh, obviously, they've got like the two-headed attack, right, with uh, James Conner and Benny Snell. James Conner. 
they have a ton, they've added a ton of speed to their receiving core and not, you know, last year, all the pressure um, offensively was basically on Schuster and, you know, but now they have Claypool, whatever, you know, a, a ton of Deont- Deontay Johnson yeah, is, is Johnson. looking like a legit player. A ton of uh, dude, talk, talk about a too. fucking sleeper in Claypool. Uh, he, he's just like, he's got all the intangibles, man. He's huge. He's like a, he's kind of what they needed. Cause I mean, Juju is, is a, let's call him like a power wide out where like, he's got the yeah. size, he's got the strength, but Claypool's I think he's better kind of, in the slot. Yeah. He is better than the slot, but Claypool is that like outside threat. He's not like, he's not like blazing speed, but he's like a, he'll pull down most 50, 50 balls. Cause he's got the size, the height as well as the strength. So, you know, those are all important things, but I mean, I, I just want to make one quick call out because I was watching a lot of that game versus Titans and, and they did an amazing job of, of pretty much stifling Derrick Henry for the majority of that game, if not the whole thing. And, and I want to make a quick shout out because we almost had one guy on the Steelers defense on this podcast and we were probably one text message away from making that happen. That's their starting uh, inside linebacker, Robert Spillane, who went to Western Michigan, who Jay, yeah. our, good, our good friend, almost brought, almost hooked us up with. He made a unbelievable stop at the goal line on Derrick Henry where I thought someone died. The, the noise that was made on yeah, the was yeah. unbelievable. I know exactly the play. I have never seen anybody stop Derrick Henry single-handedly like that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on a call uh, after this. His, We're going to get him on. He, he broke his collarbone, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. He got, oh, he got, shit. He got oh, my God. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Let's get him on. Like, so, dude, I, uh, I want a live – I want a live – rundown of what it was like to run into a human being like Derrick Henry. We can make that happen. Um, but before we move on from the Steelers um, in general, I just like to highlight the AFC North right now. Steelers are undefeated. Uh, Baltimore's five and one or five and two and Cleveland is five and two. And then you have Sensi and Joe Burrow, who's like one, five and one. And he's putting but up like 30 some points anybody. a game. He, he hangs in every game. I mean, take away the Baltimore game. All right, you know, chalk it up to being a rookie. But how about Joey Blizzies, dude? Yeah, uh, the, the Bengals are exciting. Like, it is, it is. Uh, you know what, as a matter of fact, the AFC North, you know, probably one of the top three divisions to watch as far as just uh, pure entertainment talent. goes. This Offensive season. talent everywhere. Yeah, but, it, um, it's, it's fun to watch. On, on the terms of offensive talent, uh, do you guys want to move on to a team that – doesn't have a ton of offensive talent. Would that be the New England Patriots? <laughs> I'd love just the team. I would love to discuss. So we want to open up uh, a little bit of a conversation about Cam Newton and the Patriots, as you all very well know. And if you don't, uh, the six-time Super Bowl champions are a absolute dumpster fire this year. What was projected to be a pretty solid season in Cam Newton's comeback season has turned into a awful experiment. I'll turn it over to Tom because this hits home with him more than anybody, uh, especially having been on paper saying that Cam Newton was going to slang footballs this season. So I'll hear from you about what you think uh, is going on in the organization, the team, all the above. Well, to be fair, he Cam Newton has been slanging footballs. They just are slang or he's just slinging them into the dirt, which is not great right now. Um, I will also point out the last two seasons, the Patriots have started uh, like two and two, three and three, and we're only one game removed from that. So the weighted average, not that big of a deal right now. And we're still in a very winnable division. I have been, I have not been on the Josh Allen train, been pretty vocal about that on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at end of reg. And uh, I think you're starting to see Josh Allen play out a little bit as a, a one-trick pony, where if he can't you know, break off a 20, 30-yard play to extend a drive, they're in trouble. Being said, so are the Patriots. Um, we have zero talent, and it shows. Edelman is aging. Nikhil Harry hasn't progressed to the first-round pick we wanted him to be. We have guys like Demir Bird uh, filling in at like our slot receiver. I don't even fucking know who's playing tight end. Uh, our running backs are just a windmill of injury-riddled uh, ground-and-pound guys. I think Rex Burkhead might be our leading rusher. So right off the bat, I think the talent discrepancy in general is probably New England's biggest problem on offense. Um, and, yeah, a lot of it does fall on Cam Newton. He's thrown a lot of interceptions, and 
it's great to see Cam get up on the microphone after a game and take full responsibility for it and own it and say he has to be better. But it's another thing to take those words and put it into action and be better. And that's sort of what I'm, I, I wish I could see more of out of Cam. And it just seems like there's no real push right now. There's not that tenacity that the Patriots used to have. And I think you're seeing the residual fallout like without a... I mean, it, it's hard to look at it and say, oh, we don't have Tom Brady anymore. There's bound to be a fall-off when you don't have Tom here's, Brady anymore. Here's my theory that I don't think is a theory any longer. It's just a fucking fact about Cam Newton. He is not a leader. Like, people always say he is a leader. I am sure that in the preseason when it's fucking nice outside and it's fun to show up and play football, I bet he loves playing music and dancing and getting guys going, and it's probably fun to be Cam Newton's teammate. That is not leading, dude. When the fucking chips are down and it's cold as shit in Massachusetts and you're two and four and Bill Belichick is yelling at your ass, you need someone to get in your grill and get your team going. And that's what elite. That's what Tom Brady does. Like, I mean, I just think right. You Cam see him on. Is, you see Brady doing it. He is down. Yeah. You know, like when I mean, as sad as it is, and I don't know why it happened. You know, obviously the Panthers were once pretty much there. You know, at the peak of the game, and from that point, it's it's been a pretty steep decline for cam newton but he's beaten down you know he's not in that stage where he's gonna respond and be stronger and grind it out and figure out a way to become a better player right now in the season i mean i think when things start going downhill for cam newton he only goes downhill you know and like the patriots have taken steps backward offensively every single game this season and i just don't think it's going to end well for him he's not he's not a leader but let me I'll kind of play a bit of devil's advocate because I kind of I, because I believe this. I mean, let's let's look at if you look at both teams in comparison, Tampa Bay and New England, like New England just has, as Tom noted, like they just have nobody. They have no supporting cast. They have multiple players who sat out this season due to COVID on the defensive side of the football. Pretty much their entire yeah. linebacking core sat out. Everyone on have, defense. They don't have receivers that, you know, some they thought maybe would would blossom a little bit more than, than they have. They haven't had Sony Michelle since week two, I believe, week one. Uh, COVID, yeah. And, and and so, you know, that's just when you look at the supporting cast, he just doesn't have shit to work with. So, while I do agree that he's probably not the best leader, he is a highly skilled individual and highly athletic individual who has dealt with a number of injuries. So that's obviously, you know, accumulated to a point where maybe he's not the same level he was when he was MVP. That's very understandable. Um, but it's not. It's you can't really say is is it Tom, uh, you know, is it Tom or Bill who's the key to to making this thing work? Because Tom's on a team where he's got every single playmaker in the book. I mean, when Mike Evans isn't even getting Elite. looks because because he doesn't have to, like you know yeah, that he's got a stupid amount of talent around him. That's that's in a vacuum talking about this season, but we all know. And yeah, it's been tough, and they haven't always looked pretty. But I mean, in recent seasons, even, but many times through Tom's New England Patriot career, he was doing the same. Th- you know, he was doing Tom Brady things with probably yeah. not quite as bad a roster, but very similar rosters, and they weren't two and four, and he wasn't throwing for 121 yards a game with zero touchdowns and three interceptions. It just yeah. Cam's playing bad with a bad team, sure, but he's playing bad. I will. Uh, I'll. I'll end it with this whole discussion because it's making me sad. Um, I firmly believe that Cam Newton is playing for his job this weekend in a divisional game against the first place Buffalo Bills. Cam goes out, looks good, wins this game. We're having an entirely different conversation next Monday. Cam plays like dog shit. True. Then if Cam if Cam looks like dog shit next week. Then expect to see Jarrett Stidham the following weekend. Let's if, let's quickly. If the uh, Patriots win two in a row on the on the arm of Cam Newton, then it's a moot point, right? Let's let's look at the other okay. other end of the spectrum there, though. You've got the Bills and the Jets. Obviously, the Bills you're not so sure about, but will most likely pose some competition for you guys, depending on you know how They're Cam plays. Squad. They're a good. Squad. But then then you have the Jets, who if you cannot win against then you need to hang them up. My question is, if you go down these two games, what is Bill, what is Kraft, what does the organization do to try to steer the ship in the right direction? 
I mean, if we lose to the Jets, then we're we're in the hunt for Trevor Lawrence, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's we'll be, the problem. We'll be though, two and just... two and six, two and seven. Yeah, but you and everyone and their mother is, you know, right. Yeah, I mean, the NFL is a one or no win team. Right. Uh, exactly. No, I mean it's uh, it's just one of those things where it's it's so hard to say week to week. I I really have a difficult time seeing us lose to the Jets. I have an even harder time seeing the Jets try to win a divisional game. That would at this point be in their not in their best interest. Uh, and, and we always play Buffalo tough. I, I have a good feeling going into next weekend. I really do. It, it might be the bias in me saying that, but for the better part of the last 20 years, we have owned the Buffalo Bills, and I, I, I just uh, I, I feel like the the leaders on the Patriots are all in the defense. And they're going to step up this week, help Cam out. The you know the the McCourty brothers, Stephon Gilmore. Um, I, I really see a bounce back game from New England this weekend, while Josh Allen continues his decline from the first three weeks of the season. Uh, and, and you know maybe I'll be eating my words Monday morning, but but we'll see. Well, quick fact, quick 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 fact of the AFC East. Uh, well, this is kind of it'll be a little bit obvious, but who's the only team in the AFC East with a positive point differential? The Buffalo Bills. Bills? Miami Dolphins. Really? Bills are minus four. The Dolphins are plus 47 point differential. Their defense is legit. They play fucking hard every single down. You just love those Miami teams, kid. Miami uh, point. I might be, I'm like a pseudo Miami Dolphins. Why? Why? Let's can we talk about uh, that's actually a pretty good talking point. Um, the Dolphins have officially declared they're going in the direction of Tua. We haven't mentioned it whatsoever. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick had them jump out to a three and three record. Um, mm-hmm. I think after starting 0 and three, and then they won three in a row. I could be wrong there, maybe it was just 0 and two. Regardless, uh, they once again, it seems like anytime Ryan Fitzpatrick is involved, he is surprising people, his teams are surprising people. Um, I don't understand, um, I guess, you know, if their mentality was just using him as a placeholder and now they think, holy shit, we're in a position to maybe play for a wild card spot. Um, we better go with the more talented guy pretty quickly. Um, I mean, if that was the decision, why didn't you just go with him in the first place? I don't, I don't know. But I mean, here's, here's my issue and I'll, and I'll kind of pivot off of what you're saying. First of all, Fitzmagic is a gem. Anybody love him. And, you don't love him. Okay, great. Well, shut the fuck up. I love him. No, uh, I love him. Oh, okay. All right, good. Thank you. I take it back. Um, the guy is a legend. Any NFL team would be happy to have him as a backup. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, he's shown that he can be a decent starting quarterback. My issue here with what everyone is talking about with Tua is that, you know, the organization, the team, the crowds, the fan base, I should say, hasn't been ex- as excited about a quarterback since Dan Marino. Now, we're talking about a kid who's coming off of one of the most gruesome, gnarly injuries of all time. He threw fucking three passes in Sunday's game, and people, or last Sunday, uh, they had a bye this this last weekend, um, and people are already, you know, going crazy and blowing up the hype around this kid. Granted, I know what he's done. I've seen what he's done. I know what he's capable of. But, again, this is a totally different field. The NFL is a different level of play. I I don't know. I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys. But I think that this is a very overrated situation. And they're going to be very sorry that they let the beard go. I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, Tua being overrated in the first place. And uh, I don't say that from you know, a physically gifted standpoint or anything like that. He's obviously, I saw him play a lot at Alabama. He's made tons of big throws. He threw for a lot of passes. You're not uh, saying that as a Bulls fan? No, I mean, as you can see, uh, you know, Alabama had a potent offense before Tua came along. Alabama has a potent offense after Tua left. You know, Mac Jones is putting up even better yards than Tua. And that's the, my problem with Tua is um, I think he's going to be another classic example of someone, you know, who's got a ton of talent, but he's kind of been head and shoulders above his competition for, for so long that he hasn't learned how to get the ball out of his hands quickly enough, and that is just going to punish him in the NFL. Like, it's not a league 
where you can just stand around, you know, and basically stiff arm guys as they're coming to sack you and get passes off and hit players, you know, hit receivers running out routes, you know, while, while you're kind of keeping your balance, you're going to get planted. And if you're holding onto the ball for three and a half, four and a half seconds, like it's going to take its toll and tons of, you know, young athletic mobile quarterbacks have learned that lesson to me too. I don't know his call. He he's always seemed a little bit too patient. And obviously it's not like we don't have an example of this biting him, right? He's, I mean, the last three years he was at Alabama, he suffered injuries and, you know, year two, he was at Alabama. One of those injuries was an ankle injury, you know, related, related to a sack. Then year three, his last year there, he, you know, re-injured that ankle. And then obviously his season ended uh, with the hip injury. And, uh, you know, I just think it's something that he's going to have to learn pretty quickly. Otherwise, um, you know, we won't be seeing him for very long. And I don't, you know, and I don't really care what kind of caliber of a player you are when you're coming off of an injury like that, you're going to play timid. And dude, they, they played this. I saw this stat when the Titans, again, the Titans, it's like Ben Roethlisberger. That's someone who's obviously he's had some injuries, but you have to protect yourself in the league. And his average throw was two seconds, you know, ball hitting his hand, ball leaving his hand, two seconds. And I mean, that's just not something that many young quarterbacks do. So I don't know why when you're the Dolphins and you're kind of in this position already, you throw this young kid with an obvious history of not getting the ball out quickly enough into the fold, you know. I mean, I guess the only thing that they have going for them, as Harrison mentioned, is the defense. I mean, if these guys can keep him protected, if these guys can get him the ball, you know, on turnovers uh, and and stopping drives, then, you know, maybe there's potential. I always like to root for these guys. You know, I don't ever want to wish that he does poorly, but when they're when they're sitting here comparing him, you know, to the hype around Dan Marino, a guy who brought more victories than the Dolphins will ever see in their entire fucking career. I don't know. It's just uh it's a it's a stretch and I'm gonna have to have him, you know, make me taste my own words, but we'll see. Yeah. But um, you know, somebody who is uh definitely not winning and we should move on to to get the ball rolling is the NFC East. Um we've been talking about dumpster fires. We've got an entire division of dumpster fires. Uh, there's not a single team in the division that has over two wins. And my poor, lonely sack of shit Giants are in last place at one and six. So I uh, wanted to just quickly run through this before we hop into the MLB and talk World Series. Hear what your guys' thoughts are here. You know, people have discussed this be- being potentially one of the worst divisions in NFL history. It seems that none of these teams can get anything done. It brings me so much joy that the Dallas Cowboys are sitting in second to last place. But let's hear it from you guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I your can, garbage. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's easy to say that this may be the worst divisional start. I'll, I'll hold some optimism that one of these teams will figure it out, although I don't know who that'll be. I, I suspect the Cowboys will come out of this division um, at, when it's all said and done, but I mean, truly just, I mean, injury bugs, yes, those are, those have been hitting pretty hard across the Cowboys, Giants, uh, Washington as well, uh, Eagles to some extent as well with, with Miles, Davis, uh, Miles Sanders. Um, <laughs> Miles Davis. Miles but, Davis. But it is, it is really something else, and, and we are probably no more than 10 years removed from, from the NFC East being probably the most feared division in the NFL. Um, you know, for a long time, you know, maybe probably through the 2000s, uh, the NFC East was generally very, very tough. Um, you know, we've seen three Super Bowls come out of the NFC East uh, in so many years. I know it doesn't, doesn't really stack up against the Patriots who've, who've taken six. Um, but even still, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty pathetic to see. And, and it looks like the Giants and the Cowboys are being sucked into a black hole that who knows when they'll get out of. Um but, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty awful to see across the board. So my, my bold prediction here is that the Washington football team is going to pull this out. Uh, I think seven. I was just about to say that, wins, Tom. Maybe seven or eight wins gets you this division, which is, I think, the, I think nine and seven won it last year. But I think maybe seven wins gets you this year. 
And I like the Washington football team for two reasons. One, uh, I think they might have the most competent uh, quarterback in Kyle Allen. You can tell me whatever you want about Carson Wentz. He's probably due for an injury soon. And the Eagles just Carson have such Wentz a de- sucks, bro. They just have such a depleted offense. It's hard to it's it's hard to envision them sustaining, you know, 25, 31-ish points per game. Meanwhile, Washington's defense is like far and above the best defense in the, the division. Although they did just lose Landon Collins um, with a torn Achilles for the season, which is a massive, massive blow. But I overall, I, I, I still like what Washington has. They have a disgusting front four, um, you know, with a bunch of Alabama boys, Montrez Sweat and Chase Young on the corners. That is just scary. Uh, I Call me crazy. I like the Washington football team. I'm 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 riding that with you, Tom. Honestly, um, the Washington Redskins or shit, sorry, football team uh, have always disappointed every single time. I do worry about some of the you know uh, behind the scenes stuff that's going on with some of the lawsuits and allegations and and all of that that can definitely pour into you know on the field play. But with that being said, with all the dog shit that we've seen from the NFC East. I think the uh, the Washington football team is going to uh, pull out of this one. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. I think the Eagles still still have the best. I mean, it's again, with the loss of, of Landon Collins, it's a big loss uh, on their defense. Yeah, they do have a great defensive line. They're seemingly very good at t- getting takeaways. Their defense has been pretty, pretty stout uh, throughout the year, the Washington football team, that is. But... I think the Eagles will probably have the most well-rounded team. Uh, obviously, with the wide receiver position is, is a massive hole for them. Um, but I, I think Carson Wentz, you know, as as inconsistent as he can be, and as injury-prone as he can be, he's been really good at keeping them in games. I mean, they're they're two, four, and one. Um, but I think out of those four losses, I think three of them came by less than seven points. I think maybe two of them were less than three points. Um, and, and so I think they're they're you know a couple adjustments away maybe maybe one additional player if they can go get like a i don't know an Allen robinson or someone like that from from giving them some sort of a weapon on the outside to to you know to use so i I think eagles will come out of here i think they'll be i don't know eight seven no seven eight and one then yeah that sounds about right which is which is pathetic i mean like honestly if a team is less than 500 i think there should be a, a motion put in place that if you're under 500 you're just completely eliminated from playoff contention just barred from the playoffs mm-hmm. I, I can get behind that i like that i like that um well gents you have anything else to touch upon in the nfl before we move on here to the ml boy with it i would just say uh obviously next week we can direct a little attention to the uh, a little more attention to the top seeds and the nfc uh we don't have a ton of time to get around to the seahawks the packers um obviously the rams uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But plenty but, to uh, talk about there. So we'll we'll definitely circle exactly. back for sure. Um, all right, well, let's talk about something that is happening right now in our midst, October 27th. I, I think that's the date, right? So we're sitting at Tuesday, October 27th. That's it is right. 10.04 p.m., and we are looking at Game 6 of the World Series. Dodgers versus the Rays. A lot on the line tonight. The Rays are staring down the barrel of elimination. They're up one to zero right now. It's the end of the fifth. Tom, what are you thinking here, kid? Uh, I'm thinking that it's unfortunate that there's no actual baseball fans in Tampa Bay because they have an amazing baseball team. And this has been an excellent World Series. Um, Dating back to, I think it was game four over the weekend, when Tampa tied it in the bo- or won the game in the bottom of the ninth on just an absurd meltdown by the Dodgers, who continue, I will say, despite all the talent, continue to do Dodgers things, right? If you look back across the last three, four seasons, you know, Dodgers going to Dodger in the playoffs. And one way or another, they find a way to lose games with the most star-studded roster in baseball. And... What what Tampa has done over the last five, six years, uh, shout-outs Heim Bloom, who is now the GM of the Boston Red Sox, uh, has just constructed a team of just 
gritty, you know, blue collar, grinded out guys. And what Blake Snell is doing tonight has been nothing short of amazing. He's held the Dodgers to one hit through five, just dealing, dealing. I'll say this about the Rays. I don't understand. Um, obviously, Tom just mentioned uh, the former GM of the, GM of the Rays now with the Red Sox. I don't know if he was the same GM there. If that was early, you know, early in the Tampa Tampa Bay days, two thousand nine, I think, when they won the World Series, uh, whenever that was, you know, with the Evan Longoria days, et cetera, et cetera. But why in the hell do the um, Oakland A's have a movie about this shit? When it's the when it's the Rays who can actually do it and win championships, the Rays need a movie made about them, dude, because it it really is amazing what they've been able to do in a town literally without baseball fans, as Tom mentioned. Uh, funny stat: the two least watched televised game ones in World Series history belong to the Rays, both in the last fifteen years. And I mean, nobody cares about these games, which is sad because they are the most overperforming franchise probably in the last quarter century in any sport. I mean, it honestly, I, I don't even know. I, I guess I can't even maybe like when the Kansas City Royals win the World Series a few years back, that was comparable. But to do it repeatedly, uh, not that they've won this one, but just to be there and have the success that they've had every year. And in the division that they live in, you know, says even more about them uh, with, with obviously the resources that they have compared to the Red Sox and the Yankees. Tom, do you see the uh, the Rays pushing this to a game seven? Uh, I mean, they're you know they got the lead through five right now, and you know they're Snell. Like I said, Snell is dealing. Uh, they'll probably try and squeeze one more inning out of them and get to that bullpen. Even if they do get out of this tonight, though, it's hard to doubt Walker Bueller in Game Seven. Um, I know you know Clayton Kershaw has drawn a lot of attention. Uh, as the you know the face of the LA Dodgers, so to speak, for the last probably decade or so. But Walker Bueller is the future. He is hands Bueller. down a top, I don't know, five pitcher, and that might be a generous top. Could be top three, but he is just on point. He looked outstanding in Game Three, uh, untouchable stuff. And I just, regardless of what happens tonight. I do not see the Dodgers losing this World Series. I kind of want to see, just to close it out, I, I, it would be the most Dodger fashion for Game 7 to come around. Walker Bueller deal through six innings. They bring in Clayton Kershaw in relief to get like an inning under his belt or just to get through another inning. And then and he, he, lets up, up, like he, he, he lets up like four runs and they lose. That would be the that, most Dodger that. thing ever. <laughs> I'm he, not gonna uh, lie. I want the Dodgers to win only so that their little run ends. You know, there's obviously being a Braves fan, I, I hate the Dodgers. We've run into them in the playoffs many times, uh, and in recent history, they've had the upper hand way more often than not. And I just feel like, you know, if the Dodgers would finally fucking squeak one out, as Tom has mentioned, with the best roster in baseball for the past three, four years running, get the job done, dissolve the team get over it and usher in the Braves era in the national league. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I, I don't really see this Dodger run going much further. I mean, after paying Mookie the, you know, the lump sum that they gave him, uh, I mean, you're going to have to pay Walker Bueller. You have Corey Seager at short, you have Justin Turner, you have Max Muncy, you have Cody Bellinger. There's just so much talent all over the field. It's incredible. I mean, Jock Peterson, uh, the young catcher, uh, Will Smith behind the plate. They are, it, it really is, truly is one of maybe the best on paper rosters I think we will ever see. It's just a shame that Dave Roberts is a stupid idiot and can't, you know, coach them <laughs> to, to a win. It, it's, it's honestly, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible it's that he hasn't won yet. He is a big It's incredible he has idiot. a job, but. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and close the doors here on the MLB and move on here to the PGA. We want to just keep it brief here. It's already come. It's already gone. We just wanted to touch upon the winner and a uh, an absolute meltdown that occurred. So I'll kick it over to you guys that got more action on this and uh, take it away. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that Justin Thomas did exactly what you don't want to do rolling into the Masters. Uh, which kicks off November 12th. 
stay tuned for that. We'll have a little preview action coming up for you. Uh, but essentially, JT and John Rahm, the second and third ranked golfers in the world, uh, were you know the last tee time on Sunday and just played very mediocre golf. Like all they had to do was play halfway decent, and that this would have been a runaway for them. But instead, they let dumbass Patrick Cantlay come in with his little happy feet and steal the Zozo Championship. Uh, particularly, I think it's the it was the 16th hole. It's a par three with a hazard in front, a water hazard, and JT didn't take enough club and nearly found himself in the water. Ended up making bogey. Still had a chance on 18, uh, down two shots on 18, a hole that he had eagled already um, on Friday. And his second approach shot, uh, great drive, puts his second approach shot in the water and essentially kisses goodbye his chance to win. And it was just a meltdown. They had him mic'd up, and you can hear him just in his own head. It was just really, like, honestly, it was it was sad to see because – this event screamed, you know, Justin Thomas, the, the way the course layout was, the, you know, the, it, it's kind of a short course and, you know, uh, an, an approach shot, or an approach golfer's game where that's just JT to a T, iron game on point, and it really let him down this week, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned what that's going to mean for the Masters. But, uh, you know, congrats to Patrick Cantlay. I just wanted to point out, JT, uh, you really screwed the pooch on this one. Uh, shake it off quick because Augusta's coming for you. Very nice, very nice. Well, <clears throat> let's go ahead and move on to something that's a little more action-packed where there were no meltdowns occurring. Uh, we're talking USC 254, Fight Island. We've got a bit of a debate that I want to run through with you guys, and that is Khabib, the 29-0 and lightweight champion. There's been a lot of discussion about him being the greatest of all time in the UFC. I'd love to hear from you guys what your thoughts are. Um, I'm happy to kick off here and say that as an individual who has not fought outside of his weight division, I don't believe that you can claim him to be the greatest fighter in the UFC. I think that he is the greatest lightweight champion of all time. But if he were to go up a division and fight someone like Usman, I think he would genuinely get the shit kicked out of him. That's just me. Granted, you know, Khabib gets you on the ground and it's a completely different game, but I don't know. Um, I, I, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's definitely an argument where you can make, that, that you can make where, you, where he is the greatest of all time. However, I do tend to agree that, that he would have to do a little bit more, maybe have more title offenses. You, everyone, you know, for the most part, every sports fan saw the John Jones video where, where he was like, I've defended my title 15 times. You've done it four times. Most of my fights have come in the, in the UFC. Most of Khabib's fight, fights have not come in the UFC. Um, so I, I certainly wouldn't give, give him that, that GOAT status. Uh, regarding his, the ability to go, up to, uh, to go up a class and fight a Kamara Usman uh, at 175 pounds, I, while I don't think you get his, his ass kicked, I, he just wouldn't be able to control on the ground like he is able to do with 150 pound weight weight class at the lightweight division. Um, you know, he would not. Kamar Usman is is a grappler. He is a wrestler uh, who also packs a, a mean punch. So I do think Kamar Usman would win that fight pretty handily. Um, and I think that's why, for the most part, you know, Khabib is is kind of stayed in his lane uh, at that 155 weight. Um, he just kind of realizes that if he goes up, it's going to be a lot harder for him to, to make the same impact that he's able to do on the ground. And, and so he's kind of just decided to, to dominate his, his own division. So, and, and I will make one last point. I do think he is truly retired. I don't expect to ever see him fight again. Uh, that guy is, is highly religious. He's pretty uh, true to his word. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, the loss of his father is obviously something that like, you know, hit him hard and, and all that. And, and, uh, and I think that he's being pretty pretty straightforward and honest by saying that he's retired and he won't fight again. Yeah, I, I don't see this being a Conor McGregor situation where he comes out of retirement to fight somebody, whether it be for you know money, whether it be for publicity. I think he sees himself as the greatest. Again, we debate that, but um, you know he's definitely proven something that 
a lot of other fighters have not. And this guy has truly got the endurance of a marathon runner. I think that's what makes him so good. You know, if you watch if you watch the fight, you you saw him just tire his opponent out and as he does with all of his opponents he just clings on to them as soon as you get onto the ground it's fucking game over the guy is a boa constrictor he moves his arms and his legs in ways that you know only contortionists do and uh he ends up pulling out the most absurd you know chokes and submissions and here we are with a you know round two submission the guy takes sound like you'd like one of those yeah, for sure. That was good. What are you what are you eating over there, dude? You little critter. <laughs> Just a big old plastic bag, kid shoveling his face. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the mute when you're eating. Yeah. Um I will say I think there's an argument to be made for Khabib being the greatest lightweight of all time. As you can you can argue that the man has never lost a single round in the UFC octagon. Yeah. But the 100%. conversation On for paper. greatest greatest of all time not a chance for everything Harrison said about John Jones and for, you know, the sort of the, you know, the elder fans of UFC, you can't overlook what George St. Pierre has done in the UFC octagon. I would have also very much so loved to have seen a Conor McGregor Khabib, um, you know, matchup one last time, but fuck it, you know. Yeah, he'll probably come back. Khabib will unretire if that is a fight to the death. Oh, 100 percent. If it's if it's in Dagestan, yeah, Dagestan in a Dagestan and, prison cell. Yeah, and there's bears surrounding. Basically, it. in the gulag. <laughs> Literally in, in the gulag. gulag. And if you don't get that reference, read a book. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we've got here for. Oh, actually, I wanted to quickly just ask you, Tom, uh, what your thoughts are and Harrison. Um, kind of for what is next, you know, in the lightweight division with the retirement of Khabib, it opens up a huge opportunity for somebody to step in. Who are we liking? What are we thinking matchup wise, future fights? Uh, my, my personal preference for how they go about it is to McGregor versus Poirier, which is slated to happen, I believe in January of 2021. And then do and then do a rematch of Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. Have them run it back, and then the winner of each fight faces off for the lightweight title. I was also under the impression that Connor was enjoying retirement. No, he's fully training and coming back. He's yeah. slated, he, no. he has a con- he has a contract to fight Poirier. It's right it's a joke because he constantly tweets about retirement, and then here know, we are. But, yeah, but he's now he's now at the point where like when people see him retire, they're like, okay, cool, we'll see you in a couple months. <laughs> yeah okay see you later buddy um all right well that's all we got for ufc 254 and for sports we've got buzzer beaters to close us out here tonight um tom i'll kick it over to you to uh start us off uh well not to get too you know a far ahead of ourselves here but the college basketball season is just over oh, a Jesus. month away teams are starting to practice i'm telling you all right now going on the record now Texas Tech is going to be the team to beat this year. Texas Tech currently plus 2,700 outright uh, to win March Madness outright. Get on them now because that number is only going to drop as the season gets closer and kicks off. Uh, I won't get too into it, but they are just, they have elite scoring at all five positions and uh, they have graduate transfer Marcus Santos Silva from VCU. Uh, dominant big man to secure uh, down low for them. They have elite scoring on the wings, and they have a junior guard transfer, Mac McClung, uh, sensation out of Georgetown, joining the Red Raiders this year. So my pick, my early, way too early pick for March Madness champion is the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I hope you ride it with me. That that has to be potentially the earliest we've ever thrown in. Uh, a hot take or a hot pick, I should say. Pretty, I'm a premature guy. I like say. that. Um, Harrison, what do you got for us, kid? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you know, here at End of Regulation, we like to promote not only End of Regulation and our episodes and our social media, but we like to promote other podcasts as well. Um, I just started. Uh, I, wa- I watched one minute of it. 
Uh, Joe Rogan has a podcast that just came out with Tim Dillon, who me and Gardner just got to see down here in Florida doing, doing stand-up. Uh, so it's a, a, a podcast episode with Tim Dillon and uh, everyone's favorite psychopath, lunatic, nutjob, Alex Jones. Uh, in studio, I listened to the first minute, and if that's any indication, it's going to be an absolute batshit crazy three hours of content, and uh, I can't wait to watch it. That's how my Wednesday is going to start tomorrow. So, I don't know if you out. guys have checked Tim Dillon out, but uh, his podcast is A1 Content, and his stand-up is also fantastic. Um, you would not see it coming from the guy. He is a overweight, sober Borderline asthmatic, uh, right-winged gay comedian. Um, so kind of a, a blend of all factors, but definitely someone to check out. And he's already been on Rogan, and it was very enjoyable. Um, and also, why not just go ahead and check out Kanye? Because if you want your fucking brain melted, there you go. I mean, truly, truly, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, that guy I- needs to be locked <laughs> Up, I made it through like an hour plus of his of Joe Rogan's Kanye interview, and I couldn't tell you one single thing or point that Kanye was trying to make. Dude, it was, Joe, it was like Joe kept uh, it was looking like, at him like, like Billy he Madison. was insane, insane. Like we are, Joe, we are all now dumber for have listening to you. Joe's talk about, like talk about be, wanting to be president. <laughs> Joe, Joe has had absolute creatures into his studio he's had insane conspiracy theorists we're talking about an episode with alex jones a guy who said that the water is turning the frogs gay and i'm telling you here that kanye west tops every every episode guy needs to be in a straight jacket (laughs) he is a danger that's what they want you to think if you listen to kanye that's what they want you to think beautiful people as always, thank you for joining us here tonight. If you're not already, make sure to check us out, as Tom alluded to, our Twitter and our Instagram. Premium content coming your way. We'll keep you posted on the Masters. We'll keep you posted on March Madness, all of the above. And additionally, you need to subscribe both on iTunes and Spotify. Both is preferable. We need those numbers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so go ahead and stay up to date on our weekly released bi-weekly, bi-monthly, bi-yearly released episodes. Love you all. Turning us over to Shakes to play us out. Uh, yeah, I've been on a an enormous uh, talking heads kick here lately. Um, obviously, uh, if you're an HBO viewer, you've probably seen previews for David Byrne's uh, American Utopia. It's a documentary uh, of his, I guess, blending of stage and concert performances uh, on Broadway. HBO filmed it. As a matter of fact, it's a Spike Lee joint, as they are so-called. And uh, just, just premiered, I, I think, last uh, Monday. So uh, if you're into music, if you're into the talking heads, watch David Burns' American Utopia on HBO. And uh, here's some talking heads to play us out. Later.